Chapter Five of Nurse and Spy in the Union Army by Sarah Emma E. Edmonds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. We arrived at Fortress Monroe in a drenching rain, immediately disembarked, and proceeded at once to Hampton, formerly a beautiful little village containing about five hundred houses, many of them elegant brick buildings, but which now lay a blackened mass of ruins having been burned a few months previous by order of rebel general magruder the village was about three miles from fortress monroe and situated on the west bank of a creek or arm of the sea called hampton river the yorktown road passing directly through its centre it was a great relief to the troops to disembark from the filthy crowded transports notwithstanding they had to march through the mud and rain and then pitch their tents on the wet ground fires were soon built coffee made and nice fresh bread served out which was brought to us by the commissary department at the fort as mrs b and i had a little respite at this particular juncture we set about visiting the contrabands they occupied a long row of board buildings near the fort the men were employed in loading and unloading government vessels and the women were busily engaged in cooking and washing no language can describe the joy of these men and women at being liberated from bondage as the jews of old were looking for the promised messiah so the slaves universally regarded the advent of the northern army as the harbinger of their deliverance mr a relates the following anecdote illustrative of this fact which took place at the battle of newburn a slaveholder, breathless with terror, spurred his horse to his utmost speed past his own house, not venturing to stop. Just then a shell, with its terrific, unearthly shriek, rushed through the air over his head. A poor slave, a man of unfeigned piety and fervent prayer, in uncontrollable emotions of joy, ran into his humble cabin, shouting, "'Wife, he is running, he is running, and the wrath of God is after him!' glory hallelujah the appointed time has come we are free we are free with regard to my own visit to the contraband quarters i give the following extract from my journal quote, visited the contrabands to-day and was much pleased with their cheerful happy appearance they are exceedingly ignorant yet there is one subject upon which they can converse freely and intelligibly and that is christ the way of salvation almost all with whom i conversed to-day were praying men and women oh how i should like to teach these people they seem so anxious for instruction i know they would learn quickly some of them are whiter and prettier than most of our northern ladies there is a family here all of whom have blue eyes light hair fair skin and rosy cheeks yet they are contrabands and have been slaves but why should blue eyes and golden hair be the distinction between bond and free? End quote. One bitter, stormy night, about eleven o'clock, a band of these poor fugitives, numbering over forty, presented themselves at the picket line, for admittance to the federal camp, imploring protection. The officer of the picket guard being called, and the case presented, the contrabands were permitted to pass through but no sooner had their poor torn and bleeding feet touched the federal soil than they fell upon their knees and returned thanks to god and to the soldiers for their deliverance they came into camp about one o'clock in the morning shouting glory glory to god 
Notwithstanding the early hour and the stormy night, the whole camp was aroused. Everyone rushed out to find out the cause of the excitement. There they were, black as midnight, all huddled together in a little group, some praying, some singing, and others shouting. We had a real camp meeting time for a while. Soon the exercises changed, and they began to relate their experiences, not only religious experiences, but a brief history of their lives. Some were husbands and fathers. Their masters had sold them down south, lest they should escape. In their terror they had escaped by night, and fled to the national banner for refuge, leaving all behind that was dear to them. In conclusion, one old man, evidently their leader, stood up and said, I tell you, my brethren, dat de good Lord has borne wit dis year slavery long time, wid great patience, but now he can't bore it no longer, no how, and he has said to de people of de north, Go and tell de slaveholders to let de people go, dat they may sarve me. There were many there who had listened to the old colored man's speech and believed, as I did, that there was more truth than poetry in it. Many hearts were moved with sympathy towards them, as was soon proved by the actions of the soldiers. An immense fire was built, around which these poor darkies eagerly gathered, as they were both wet, cold, and hungry. Then a large camp kettle of coffee was made and set before them, with plenty of bread and meat to satisfy their ravenous appetites, for ravenous they were, not having tasted food for more than two days. Then blankets were provided, and they soon became comfortable and as happy as human beings could be under such circumstances. Mrs. B. and I returned to our tents, feeling very much like endorsing the sentiment of Will Jones's resolve, Resolved, although my brother be a slave, and poor and black, he is my brother still, can I, or trampled institutions, save that brother from the chain and lash, I will. A cold, drizzling rain continued to descend for several days, and our camp became a fair specimen of Virginia mud. I began to feel the effects of the miasma which came floating on every breeze from the adjacent swamps and marshes, and fever and ague became my daily companions for a time. As I sat in my tent, roasting or shivering as the case might be, I took a strange pleasure in watching the long trains of six mule teams which were constantly passing and repassing within a few rods of my tent. As Miss Periwinkle remarks, there are several classes of mules. Quote, the coquettish mule has small feet, a nicely trimmed tail, perked up ears, and seems much given to little tosses of the head, affected skips and prances, and, if he wears bells or streamers, puts on as many airs as any bell. The moral mule is a stout, hard-working creature, always tugging with all his might, often pulling away after the rest have stopped, laboring under the conscientious delusion that food for the entire army depends upon his individual exertions. The histrionic mule is a melodramatic sort of quadruped, prone to startle humanity by erratic leaps and wild plunges, much shaking of the stubborn head and lashing of his vicious heels, now and then falling flat and apparently dying a la forest, a gasp, a groan, a shudder, etc., till the street is blocked up, the drivers all swearing like so many demons, and the chief actor's circulation becomes decidedly quickened by every variety of kick, cuff, and jerk imaginable. 
when the last breath seems to have gone with the last kick, and the harness has been taken off, then a sudden resurrection takes place. He springs to his feet and proceeds to give himself two or three comfortable shakes, and if ever mule laughed in scornful triumph it is he, and as he calmly surveys the excited crowd seems to say, A hit! A decided hit! For once the most stupid of all animals has outwitted more than a dozen of the lords of creation. The pathetic mule is, perhaps, the most interesting of all, for although he always seems to be the smallest, thinnest, and weakest of the six, yet, in addition to his equal portion of the heavy load, he carries on his back a great postillion with tremendous boots, long-tailed coat, and heavy whip. This poor creature struggles feebly along, head down, coat muddy and rough, eye spiritless and sad, and his whole appearance a perfect picture of meek misery, fit to touch a heart of stone. Then there is another class of mules which always have a jolly, cheer-up sort of look about them. They take everything good-naturedly, from cudgeling to caressing, and march along with a roguish twinkle in their eye which is very interesting." One morning, as I was just recovering from fever and ague, Jack, our faithful colored boy, made his appearance at the door of my tent, touching his hat in the most approved military style, and handed me a letter bearing my address, saying as he did so, "'Dar's a box at de express office for you. May I run and fotch it?' I said, "'Oh, yes, Jack, you may bring it, but be careful and keep the cover on. There may be chickens in it.' Jack knew the meaning of that allusion to chickens, and so ran off singing, "'Massa run, ha, ha, darkies stay, ho, ho. It must be now dat de kingdom's comin' in de year ob jubilo.' In the meantime I opened my letter, from which I take the following extract, quote, "'Having learned your address through Mrs. L., whose son was killed at the Battle of Bull Run, we send you a donation in token of our respect and esteem, and of our gratitude for your faithfulness on the field and in the hospital. End quote. The following lines were also enclosed. In the ranks of the sick and dying, in the chamber where death dews fall, where the sleeper wakes from his trances to leap to the bugle call, is there hope for the wounded soldier? Ah, no, for his heart blood flows, and the flickering flames of life must wane to fail at the evening's close. O oh, thou who goest like a sunbeam to lighten the darkness and gloom, make way for the path of glory through the dim and shadowy room. Go speak to him words of comfort, and teach him the way to die, with his eyes upraised from the starry flag to the blessed cross on high. And tell him brave hearts are beating with pulses as noble as thine, that we count them at home by the thousands, thou sweetest sister of mine that they fail not and flinch not from duty, while the vials of wrath are outpoured, and tell him to call it not grievous, but joyous to fall by the sword. When the hosts of the foe are outnumbered, and the day of the Lord is at hand, shall we halt in the heat of the battle, and fail at the word of command? Oh no, through the trouble and anguish, by the terrible pathway of blood, we must bear up the flag of our freedom, on, on through the perilous flood. And if one should be brought faint and bleeding, though wounded yet not unto death, O oh, plead with the soft airs of heaven to favor his languishing breath. Be faithful to heal and to save him, assuaging the fever and pains, 
till the pulse in his strong arm be strengthened and the blood courses free in his veins while mrs b and i were speculating with regard to the contents of the box jack's woolly head reappeared in the doorway and the subject of our curiosity was before us dar it be and mighty heavy too guess it must be from blank so saying young hopeful disappeared the box was soon opened its contents examined and commented upon first came a beautiful silk and rubber reversible cloak which could be folded into such a small compass that it could be put into an ordinary sized pocket and a pair of rubber boots then came a splendid silver mounted revolver belt and miniature cartridge box but the greatest piece of perfection i ever saw came in the shape of a housewife it was lined and covered with oil silk and my name printed on it in gilt letters above which was an eagle and below was the following inscription a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand but it shall not come nigh thee then came pocket handkerchiefs gloves and other articles too numerous to mention but last not least was found in the bottom stowed away in one corner two bottles of the best currant wine a nice jar of jelly and a large loaf of cake frosted and mottoed in fine style this cake was certainly a great curiosity it was a three-story cake with three doors made to slide back by gently pulling a bell handle which was made of rosettes of red white and blue ribbon to the first bell cord was attached a splendid gold ring to the second a ten-dollar gold piece and to the third and last a small-sized hunting-cased gold watch and chain at such revelations i began to feel as if my humble tent had become an enchanted palace and that all i should have to do in future would be to rub that mysterious ring and the genii would appear ready to supply all my wants we then commenced to divide the spoil mrs b positively asserting that she had no right to any part of the donation and i telling her that in all probability it was all intended for her and through one of those slight mistakes it was directed to me the news of this wonderful box soon spread through camp and the result was that we had a surprise party as soon as evening came chaplain b taking the opportunity of making some very appropriate remarks on the occasion then came the band to serenade us and the consequence was that our cake and wine disappeared with our numerous friends for we found that all were willing to obey the scriptural injunction take a little wine etc chaplain b is a very worthy zealous faithful minister and i have spoken very highly of him but perhaps in doing so i have given the impression that all chaplains are good and faithful i am very sorry to state that it is not so there are some who have no fitness for their work and some a disgrace to their profession i think i am safe in saying that one bad chaplain will do more harm in a regiment than a hundred good men can counteract if there is any place on earth where faithful ministers are needed more than another it is in the army it is in the hospital but may god have mercy upon those who go there whose object is dollars and cents who neglect their duty and fill the places which should be occupied by christ-like heralds of the cross who love the souls of their fellow-men i think the words of the saviour are particularly applicable to some of the chaplains of the army when he says woe unto you hypocrites 
for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, etc. I have conversed with many in the army upon the subject of religion, who told me that the conduct of certain chaplains had more influence in keeping them away from the Saviour than all the combined forces of the evil one. Such chaplains are there through political influence, regardless of qualifications. Some persons have tried very hard to get up the general belief that the army is terribly demoralized in its best estate, and all who go there must inevitably plunge into vice. But a greater slander was never propagated. There is, undoubtedly, vice in the army. But where is there a city or community throughout the North where vice is not to be found? Notwithstanding the tide of moral and religious influence which is daily brought to bear against it, although the outer man appears rough and much drunkenness and other evils exist in the army yet there is much that is pure lovely and of good report in the character of both officers and men i can speak of that i do know and testify of that which i have seen and i am free to say that i think the morals of the majority of the men are quite as good if not better than you will find among the same number at home made up of all classes as we find them in the army it is true many have backslidden since they left home but is equally true that very many have been reformed and are now better men than when they enlisted every day's history proves that there are thousands of noble-hearted pure-minded christians in our army and none but traitors and infidels the enemies of god and man will deny this fact End of chapter 5